Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe. Hello, Sherlyn. This week, Howdy. I feel like it's a big one for you um, because you're you're the Google queen, you're the mobile queen, you know, and hmm. we've got some Pixel Fold rumors. And we've also got some um, a discussion around the Razer Blade 16 and 18. Sam Rutherford is going to be joining us to talk about that. Um, what else? What else? This, the Starship launched and exploded. We've got an AI song uh, from Drake and The Weeknd. Uh, not real one, but one using their AI voices. There's a lot to discuss this week. Stay tuned, folks. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. Drop us an email at podcastinggadget.com. And you can find us Thursday mornings on our YouTube channel at 1030 a.m. Eastern for our live stream. Join us for the chat. It's a fun time. Uh, Sherlyn will even be demoing a gadget later today. So if you want to see that in video form, you have to tune into our stream. Joining us today to talk about the Pixel Fold and uh, all these new Razer laptops is Sam Rutherford, senior writer at Engadget. Hey, Sam, what's up? Hey, how you doing? I'm I'm okay. I there's there's I feel like when I started when we started preparing the show, there was not that much news, and by the time. We are ready to go live. Stuff is just pouring it. Like, uh, I have links from everywhere. Uh, the SpaceX rocket exploded a couple minutes before uh, we went live here. So we're just kind of pulling all that in together. Yeah, very but busy Thursday like, morning. Man, it's such a busy Thursday morning. But we're all preparing for Google I.O. I know you and Sherlyn are both, like, going to be really busy there. There was a rumor about the Pixel Fold. And I feel like that is the thing people were really looking forward to from I.O. Can you give us a breakdown of that? And Sherlyn, like, what are, what are your thoughts on what we've heard from this thing so far? I think Sam can go. Sam's very clued in. I think Sam's, out of all of us, been waiting for the Pixel Fold. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. he's been waiting for the Fold for the longest. So let's go, Sam. (laughs) I mean, I've just been waiting for something that's not a foldable that's not made by Samsung. So at Mm -hmm. least there's competition. Like, there's a ton of foldables in China, but they never get sold over here. So it's like, hey, I want to see, you know, another company company's, like, interpretation of a foldable. So let's get into the rumors. So CNBC published um, some some leaks about... uh, they seem to have gotten some uh, marketing information from Google that kind of describes the device. And so generally what we're looking at is a uh, an inward folding uh, foldable, just like the Galaxy Z Fold. And the main screen is going to be about 7.6 inches, which is, again, similar to the Z Fold. But where the differences lie is that they said there's going to be a much stronger hinge, which I'm not sure is a great selling point because the hinge is not the issue on the Z Fold. Um, but it's going to have a, a 5.8 exterior screen, but the dimensions are, it's going to be a more of a squat device. So it's going to have, you know, the, the Z fold is kind of like a long baton shaped thing when it's folded. And this is going to be a little bit more rectangular. I kind of like that. that. I do like that compromise. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and I think that makes sense because it should, you know, when you open it up, you don't have to like worry about like, hey, do I uh, rotate it? You you know, it's pretty much good in whatever position it's going to be in. Now, the big thing that's kind of a concern is that rumored pricing is going to start at about $1,700. So that's only $100 less than the Galaxy Z Fold. And I still think that's too expensive for the everyday kind of person who would like reasonably think about, hey, is this when I finally jump into like a big yeah. foldable device? It's the, gotta these phones are still not for everybody. At, yeah, it's got to be at least fifteen hundred. Obviously, ideally even lower than that, um, because uh-huh. you know you uh-huh. have your Z flips at about a thousand dollars, and then you know going up from there. So it's just it's a lot of money to ask for people. How about I have a hot take here? Uh, these foldables are for no one. That just stop! Stop encouraging them. You if you stop. buy this, this phone, you you're encouraging them. I, I like them. I, I yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but somebody, Samsung is gonna be like, okay, two thousand. You, you're gonna spend seventeen hundred dollars for a Google phone. Here's a two thousand dollar Galaxy Fold. It'll just keep going. This is madness. Mm-hmm. And, and I, so that's kind like... of the concern. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so they, that's kind of the concern yeah. for me because, like, if you look at the Z Fold, uh, it's. I think it's a really great device. But there are a number of compromises, like especially when it comes to the camera. The camera was not as good as the S22 camera. Yeah. Um, and so if G- Google makes the same compromise on the Pixel Fold, it's like, first of all, cameras is like one of the coolest, best features on the Pixel line. And so if you're kind of taking a hit on the camera side in order to upgrade to the Pixel Fold, that's a weird upgrade downgrade situation. That there- just doesn't feel good. There was a rumor last year that the Pixel Fold would be running older cameras, basically. Like, that was the story, right? So, which it's a which concern, yeah. Wouldn't, but it wouldn't be as huge of a problem because Google has proven in the past that it can do a lot with subpar hardware in terms of the camera side of things. Like, it's still going to give for us sure. Sure. Right, good pictures. I'm, I, I kind of want to yeah. talk about the um, software side of things here because we are talking about Google's strength as a software maker. And Sam, you've reviewed or spent a lot of time with Android for tablets, Android L. And I think baked into that was supposed to be some like interface smartness for foldables. Does that give you an idea of kind of what software we should be able to expect on the rumored Pixel Fold? That's a good point because um, we can see that like even going back to Android 13 and then obviously, you know, the next version of Android is coming out, you know, later this year. You know, Google has been adding some features to try to make multitasking and multi-window mode specifically better on uh, both foldables and Android tablets. And so I think that's the thing that like could have the most potential for this Pixel Fold is seeing Google's interpretation of, hey, how do we treat multitasking on a smaller device? Because Samsung is like doing its own thing. And I do like the taskbar that they, the redesigned taskbar that they added to the Z Fold 4 series. But I think Google, because it's, you know, their their operating system, they have a little bit more insight when it comes to making everything work together and making, you know, managing side-by-side apps or multitasking on a phone feel a little bit better. I still can't believe that thing is called Android L. It's just like, that, just, that shows you that Google exists in this weird sphere away from the general public because, like... You don't you don't post your else. You don't make it the You're you don't so make funny. it the title of your operating it's, system. That, they didn't that's think what it, it through. I'm joking about this and they're calling it the loser OS. No, that's, it's mm. L for large, I'm pretty sure. I don't think officially they've sure, said anything, but sure. I'm assuming Excel, L for large. XL and like Android, Android L has been like rolled into Android like as yeah. uh, at large. So it's not like a thing that like the average consumers is like ever gonna have to think about. Um right, but right. yeah, it is it, I agree, it is a little weird. Just, just bad branding. Um, this is going to be a first-gen product. And you know what we say about first-gen products? Stay away. S- say, 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 say it all together, folks. Save yourself. Don't buy don't it. Don't do it. Yeah, don't buy <laughs> it. Don't do it. 
wait till the second gen because there's going to be problems. Don't forget what happened with the first Z Fold. Don't forget what happens with like pretty much the first of any whole new form factor. So save yourselves. Um, save your know, money. Are, are there, yep. Save your money. Are there any good Z Fold deals right now? Like is Samsung getting more competitive price wise? I mean, they, they always are competitive on like the trade in deals. But if you're trying to buy it straight up, it's not you're not getting much in the way of a discount. Unless you're like, you know, a long time Samsung person, and you have like points built up over over time. How uh, are we expecting a Z Fold 5 like later this fall, I guess? Or would that yeah. be early? Um, I mean, it's rumors are pretty uh, light this early, but, you know, we're expecting a new Z Fold sometime later this fall. And, you know, based on the last two generations, I'm really hoping to see a big design change because the Z Fold 4 was a very slight tweak, uh, you know, iteration on the Z Fold 3. And so I really, really want to see some design changes for the 5. You know, I think, you know, having a two year like redesign development cycle is pretty reasonable uh, in today's Mm -hmm. like, you know marketplace it totally makes sense i could also just see samsung being like okay okay google tell us the price tell us the price oh you're you're seventeen hundred dollars we got a fifteen hundred dollar discount yeah going on right now i we mean if, if discount you know if this yeah. competition leads to mm-hmm. big foldables being more affordable on pricing and being more competitive i think that's might that's be the good. biggest development mm-hmm. out of everything that's the good thing. And also that will be fourth gener- fourth generation hardware. Samsung has at least proven like you you like your Z Fold, right, Sam? So you're using it every day. I feel like Samsung has proven like they, they've turned that kind of turd pile of the first one into something that's usable, right? And it's funny because I'm starting to see more Z Folds out in the wild yeah. Uh, yeah, the yeah. other day. I was at the New York Auto Show and one of the person uh, people who helped me uh, like register my badge and everything, they're like, Oh yeah, I I love I love your phone. Like I bought one too, and it's like this is just like a regular person. They're not in that's tech, cool. and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And like I had a plumber come by the other day, and he's like, I love the Z Fold because uh, you know it's easier to use because like you know could use it plumbers as a have big hands, I and like it's, the, the big screen is easier for them to tap on icons and stuff. What are you going to say, Sherwin? Big hands. I, I, no, I'm curious about, I mean, we are talking about this now. I know I asked about software earlier, but do we know from mm-hmm. the rumors like what the hardware is going to be like? Who made a lot of the hardware here? Because Google is not in the business of making foldable screens. So, who, I mean, who's their typical partner these days? Yeah, it, it's kind of unclear who the components are come by because there's only a handful of manufacturers that make flexible OLED panels. Um, but unfortunately, uh, it's not entirely clear, uh, you know, where, where Google is sourcing some of these components from just yet. Did anybody, who, did anybody buy LG's mobile business? Did that get cleared up? Cause LG stopped making it. phones. Yeah. I yeah. don't think any, I don't think anyone bought their business. I think LG still manufactures, uh, panels for phones. They just yeah, don't yeah, make, yeah. you know, their own division of, of devices anymore. I feel like that, that would be an interesting combo just to have those people who are, who are good at building phones. They built, they built a curved phone that nobody really wanted. Um, that would be I was going to say, Google does. Yeah. to be very clear, LG never made an actual folding phone. They did the V60 ThinQ second screen shit device. Well, you know what I mean. But the they are making the screens. And the curved thing. Right. But they are behind. Like They have made TVs that roll and fold and whatever, but they never came out and made a foldable phone. So they haven't. Yeah. I don't know who's behind all the foldable displays that are out there, but it. We are in the age of weird foldable OLED right now, guys. Like, uh, I, have you seen these computer monitors, um, like the LG one or the the Corsair one that will mm-hmm. the forty two inches that fold inwards to you for, I don't know, to give you a curve. Um, Claustrophobia. They're, they're everywhere. Yeah, 
I don't, I don't even know if those are like worth it, but I just love the idea of pressing a button and having a little motor bend the screen I'm, from curve to and flat. Hear, hearing it's those so, cracks. it's so stupid, but I love it. It's so stupid. Um, I am terrified at failure points. And once we talk about folding screens, and I, I've heard people who have bought some of these screens are like, all I hear is snapping. All I hear is like cracking and snapping of the plastic case in the display. I'm like, that's just a nightmare for a $1,500 screen. But anyway, this Pixel Fold, um, do we have anything else to add on this guy? Like, nice to have some real competition in the U.S. I feel like that's a big takeaway here. Yeah, um, obviously, uh, so the rumors say that it's going to be powered by the Tensor G2 chip, which makes sense because we're kind of far away from, like, that phone, the uh, Google's, like, fall launch, which is typically when they would announce a new version of the Tensor. I'm just a little concerned on that because the Tensor is not exactly the most powerful chip. So it's, we're, it, you know, hopefully Google can leverage like that AI performance to like get more out of the fold because in terms of like a pure performance standpoint, it's not going to be quite as speedy as something like the Z Fold. I'm, um, I so, hope that part of the rumor is just wrong. Like, I hope that I, was like last year's marketing materials, you know, right? I'm also concerned about like heat dissipation because I, I mm-hmm. found that Pixel 7s and 6s ran hotter than. Non-tensor well, phones. I don't know. It's it's a folding phone trill, and you just like close it in and out to like cool it down, and then it get some airflow right. in there, fan itself, it'll in and fan out. itself, yeah, fan itself, yeah. And the, I think the other reason, like you know, why these rumors are kind of starting to pop up is because I think everyone ex- is expecting to hear more about this at Google I/O, which is just a couple of weeks away. And then on top of that, this phone is expected to launch in June, so you know it's going to be available way before those you know typical fall releases. Maybe that's a strategy by Google to be like, hey, like nothing really happens in June. So like June's our month. I mean, besides WWDC, but um, and you know, they, maybe... they know it's it's not for everybody. Right. So it's for the weirdos, right. the weirdos mm-hmm. who love foldable phones who will be like, I'll put down a month's worth of rent on a phone. Sure. Why not? This is um, this is like when they launched the Pixel books, the expensive ones. They're like, oh way, you know, right. They're yeah. targeting a yeah, very yeah, yeah, different yeah, yeah. but niche segment of the population. I, c- I could see them coming I, right out and saying this is an experimental I do remember thing. I remember yelling at Google representatives like when they started doing like the expensive like the original expensive Chromebooks and stuff. I'm like straight up like who is this for? Who's spending twelve hundred dollars on a web browser laptop? I don't. And uh, that whole thing kind of died, didn't it? Um, yeah. Trillin, how, do you, how are you feeling about foldables at this point? I, I mean, you, you do bring up the point that like there's not a lot of competition here in the U.S. I mean, if you think about it, there's only Samsung, but there's also Moto, but they don't really sell here. There's also like the Xiaomi's, the Oppo's, the Vivo's. And there is, I think what TCL was supposedly finally made theirs available. There was Tecmo that did something at CES. Tecno? Tecno. I, mean, I keep saying Tecmo. Tecno. Um, we, we have seen more competition for like the the what do you call it? The portrait sized foldables, like the Z Flip, right? We've seen more competition there, but we haven't seen straight up. Yeah, yeah. So I I feel like we've seen both. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think that when you said that you don't think foldables are, you know, for anyone at all, Devendra, you you were neglecting the flippy style ones, right? I'm sure you agree that there's a space for the phone that folds in half and becomes a tinier... I guess um, I occasionally see people with it. All I mostly when I see people with it in the wild, it is them struggling to open their phone to like, uh. respond to notifications. Like, man, sure it'd be nice if you just pulled your phone out of the pocket and put your thumb on something and you just get in, get into your phone. If only we had the technology for that. Like every other smartphone, um, it's cool. It's it's a cool thing. I just feel like. Among a thing I tell people to be worried about is moving parts, you know, and moving parts, especially around a display, is a nightmare. Um, I Every time I see a Z Fold that's been around for a while and that crease in the middle just kind of breaks my heart because, like, that that's going to 
that's just a failure waiting to happen entirely. But I don't know. You're digging it, Sam. How are you living with your fold? Like, is it good? You know, I, I've, I've been enjoying it a lot. Like, I'm I'm at the point in the in, in like the Matrix like like mind mind meltingness where like I don't even see the fold anymore. I don't see the <laughs> crease in the middle. Um, you know, when it's raining, like a pool forms in the middle of your phone. You don't notice. That. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I don't you know don't take it out too side uh, outside too much. Um, and actually, uh, I mean, I, hopefully I'm going to have like a long-term durability report, which I've been doing for the last few years, uh, you know, later in this fall, once oh, I get nice, closer nice. to like the one year, uh, ownership mark. But surprisingly, I haven't had any bubbling yet. Um, I'm like knocking heavily on wood because I do not want to deal with bubbling, but I haven't had any yet. And it's been about seven months. So hopefully like maybe this is an indicator that like Samsung may have fall, uh, solved that like bubbling screen protector issue. But I think, and as some people mentioned it in, in chat, it's like, I like the Z Fold, and then if you look at some of the other competitors, like the Oppo Find N, they're doing like a slightly squattier, slightly more lightweight, but still big version of a foldable. And I think if Google kind of uses that design template, where like, you know, it's a little bit more lightweight, um, it's a little bit more like rectangular, it could be an interesting alternative. Um, obviously, the, the Find N has like some other things that it's like doing um, besides that, like the, the camera on that is a little weird. But... Um, you know, I think that'll be really interesting. I'll, I'm curious to see if, like, you know, if Google adopts that, like, under the display camera for the inside, where it's like, you know, it took Samsung three generations to, like, it really seems figure that out. Too much for Google, but yeah, you know. it, and it seems like yeah, Google isn't usually not on. You know, Samsung can do that because they make the camera modules and they have that like inside like you know roadmap of when this stuff is going to mature. Um, but so we'll, we'll Google, see how some of the, like the smaller components really fit together. It feels like with the pixel devices, Google is playing like almost like a Nintendo game where like their hardware isn't as fast as everybody else's, but they're doing interesting things with it. So that, right. that is kind and of, it's, I, I, I totally agree. It's really going to come yeah. down to the, how that magic of the software works and like, you know, makes the, the hardware shine. So it's like, they, they need that software to, to be good. Gotcha. Well, we'll hear more when Google I.O. starts. That's on May 10th. I know you're going to be there, Sherlyn. Are you going to be there, Sam? Yeah, I should should be there. Uh, okay. Can't wait, can't wait to fly into a beautiful Sunnyvale or not Sunnyvale. Mm, Mountain View. Mountain View. Yeah. Mountain View. All right. Stay tuned to the Google I.O., folks. Sam, I also want to bring you here to talk about the new Razer Blades. You've just reviewed the Razer Blade 18. I'm looking at your review here. Headline is overpowered and oversized. That doesn't seem very positive. Um, and score of 78, which is on the lower end for us, I guess. That is, that's like a middling laptop. What are your bad. thoughts of the Blades 18? Yeah. So he, here's the thing. I think the laptop in a vacuum, it's gorgeous. It has that awesome Razer build quality. Razer, especially among gaming laptops, like that like unibody aluminum design, no one else is really touching that. They, they kind um, of knocked it out of the park a decade ago and just stuck with it, right? Yeah, like, and it's like, yeah. hey, you know, they're, they're like the, the, the living proof of like, hey, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, and, you know, it has a new 240 hertz display. You get up to a core i9 uh, chip, and it's the like the big HX chip, the, you know, full fat version. And same thing, you get up to an RTX 4090 GPU, and it's a 175 watt version of that GPU. Unlike the Asus, which is like kind of uh, uh, not that full power consumption. So it's really big. It's really fast. And the build quality is excellent. Like the, the reason why we can't score it super high is because it starts at $2,900. And that's for a 4060 GPU. Man. And then if you, the cheapest uh, 4090 version starts at 
for, uh, $4,500 and there's a full $5,000 config that's like got everything like uh-huh. and it's just like Th- this it, is the razor audience right like people have way too much money it's like I want the latest hardware I don't care what it costs and want it to be beautiful that's it that's all I want right right and and so like part of the review is like me trying to figure out like who who's actually buying these things like uh, so uh, DaVinci like you know you test out a, a lot of laptops it's like when you see an 18 inch laptop come in, do you like, does your back start to like shake a little oh, bit? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, once we get past 15 inches, I'm like, I don't, I start to have problems. And that is something I'll discuss with the blade 16, um, which I, I am currently reviewing right now. It's so it's, it's kind of the same thing, right? The razor used to have the blade 15 and blade 17. They still have it actually, but this year is the first time they're bumping up a bit. They have the blade 16 and 18 just to kind of, Thin out the bezels, um, expand the screen size a bit. Um, I agree. Like, weight is a big issue for me. But also, it's like, when I look at a laptop, it's um, practicality, portability. Is it actually, like, a decent value of what you're getting to? And the thing with Razer is, like, you have to apply the Apple tax to it. It's just everything is more expensive because it's a Razer and because they try to be premium, but they also don't care about, like, making it affordable. So that's Mm -hmm. just what you're buying with Razer. Yeah. Yeah, and so like you know, when I'm trying to think of like who's gonna buy this, it's like if if money is no object and you want an extremely big and fast and powerful laptop, there you go, that that thing exists. And you know, if you are like constantly on the road, like I know some like some like bands and like you know traveling performers talking talk about having laptops like this because they're always moving around, they can't have a desktop. Okay, that that makes sense. And then there's like the the crowd of like. Hey, I'm a I'm a game developer and I need a, like a nice, really premium, like luxurious laptop to go show off my game or show off my demos to clients to, you know, that's kind of who this is for. Um, but like for the rest of us, like the, the value isn't there. And then on on top of that, like it obviously has great performance, but at the same time, it's like you get one screen. It's a, a 2560 by 1600 display, 240 hertz, so it's super fast. But like, you know, there's a lot of people who use Razer machines as like content creation machines. And because there's no 4K option, there's no OLED display option. It's a little bit more limited in that sort of scope of who it's going to appeal to. So, you know, Razer, you know, in the past, they've done studio versions of the laptop. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get a studio version of this thing, you know, sometime later this year or whatever. Um, But it's like, it's not as all purpose as you might want it to be, um, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit of a bummer. Gotcha. Um, I, I kind of feel that 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 is honestly how I'm feeling about the blade 16 as well, because we, we've both reviewed the blade 15 over the past few years. Uh, I think you did it most recently, Sam. And every time I look at it, like, man, why can't all gaming laptops be like this? Sure. It's expensive, but it is polished. It is not too blingy. It's not too garish. It is the closest you could get to having a MacBook pro on the PC side. I'd say, um, still feels that way with blade 16, but man, is it a lot less portable, right? Because the Blade 15 is about four and a half pounds. It kind of ranges around that weight. The Blade 16 is five and a half pounds. And that is when you're feeling it. You're feeling it when you're carrying it around the house. If you put it in a backpack, um, that pound makes a big difference if you were to actually travel with it. And um, similarly too, like it is more expensive. Um, this one starts at 2300 If you want the 4090, it's $4,300. Um, there is some cool stuff here. I'll say um, at the top end, they have this unique uh, dual mode mini LED display that can be um, both 240 hertz full HD and I believe 120 hertz quad HD. 
And on a typical screen, you can kind of just, you know, change resolution. Sure. But it seems like this display has the tech to handle both almost natively too, which is, that's interesting. Have you seen that before, Sam? No, I think, I think that's the first time I've ever seen that. Although, correct me if I'm wrong. I think one of the issues with that is that you have to restart the computer to switch those modes. And it's like, oh man, now I got to like stop everything I'm doing to switch those modes. So it's like, it's a great idea in theory. You just like, you know, got to polish polish the execution just a little bit. It's uh yeah, yeah. And the reason you do that, by the way, is because uh, some, some game streamers, like they want 1080p, they want the lower quality to hit the higher frame rates because you get smoother, like, um, you know, smoother shooting, smoother gameplay in general. So I, I kind of see the idea there. It'd be nice if it could do that without a full reboot, but also if I'm, if I'm going to a competition or something, I just need to prioritize frame rates. I'm going to reboot. I'm going to like get ready for that mode. When I'm at home, I'll be in 1440p mode the whole time or something. So that's kind of the way I see it. But yeah, the, this thing, it's just, it is super powerful. I'm looking at our specs in the benchmark table. Sam, you put up yours. I'm putting up some of mine now. And like they're comparable. The 4090 is crazy powerful. Like to have, um, you know, it, it is not the full power of it from the desktop side, but it's certainly the fastest uh, mobile GPU I've ever seen. Uh, you're just, you're paying a ton of money for it, you know? So I feel like these things are for the people who have a lot of money who could really enjoy this. But personally, I think the Blade 15 is like the better sweet spot in terms of portability, in terms of power and everything. Um, you don't need, not a, you don't need a 4090. Nobody really needs a 4090. Uh, get a 4060, 4070 in there and you'll be happy. You'll be fine for years. Um, that's kind of the best way to kind of, I don't know, configure a value through Razer. Yeah. Right? I mean, just, just for me, like if I had to choose between the Blade 16 and the Blade 18, I'm going with the 16 just because it's just that much more portable. Um, and like the pricing is slightly cheaper, but not so much that it makes a huge difference, but just in terms of like, Hey, a laptop is sort of meant to be mobile. So I want something that is, you know, has that, uh, added advantage. Um, but yeah, totally. Um, and, and it has basically the same configurable level of specs too. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing. I'm, I'm looking up the, the weight comparison, the blade 17 weighed six pounds and five ounces. The blade 18 weighs 6.8 pounds a seven pound laptop that is and then you got to add in the the power brick that's another 1.7 pounds good god that that's like being back in 2010 when like the alien wares and everything were were giant oh, sorry, you remember those old msi machines that yep. were like full 10 pound desktop full replacements they still sell like things close to that if you go through msi or aces or some of them so yeah um i wouldn't say disappointing but People who want bigger screens and you want more power, like this is the cost, right? And I think the sweet spot for a lot of gamers are going to be 15, 15, 14 to 15 inches. Honestly, I've seen a lot of great 14 inch notebooks um, and a more reasonable GP, 4060 to 4070. But it is amazing that, you know, Razer and NVIDIA are able to cram this much power into, you know, machines at this weight. You know, that's, that's yeah. so impressive to me. And surprisingly, like the thermals are like seem to be relatively uh, well, well in check. Uh, unlike some other like the desktop, especially this, the very thin and light desktop replacements where they like kind of compromise on thermal con- uh, connectivity and stuff like that in order to get those big specs in there. Um, I haven't noticed any issues with, with my uh, Blade 18, like kind of throttling too much. I'm looking at when I was doing a lot of benches and stuff, I was seeing like maybe 70 Celsius at a maximum for the GP, which is great. That's that's fine. Like as long as you're not getting past 80, I'm happy. And it's loud, but 
it keeps everything cool. I think that's uh, that's that's kind of all we need. So you know what, folks, go check out Sam's review of the Razor Blade eighteen. Is your video up yet, Sam? Yep, it's a uh, video and the written story and uh, review are up. So whichever flavor yeah. you like, it's they're they're up. <laughs> Go check that out. Uh, my Blade 16 review is going to be coming next week. I think I'm going to be a little more positive yeah. on it just because it's more portable. It's um, but yeah, it's smaller, but I still I still feel like 14 and 50 inches are the sweet spot for most people. Let's move on to some other news, folks. Just minutes before we started this broadcast, SpaceX's Starship launched. This is the biggest rocket system ever, ever produced. It launched successfully. It lasted a couple minutes in the sky, um, did not did not separate from the booster, um, and started to roll and then exploded. So that was a it was a live stream of um, mixed emotions. I'd say like there was a lot of cheering and yaying, and then oh. ooh, that's a big explosion in the sky. Um, how do you guys feel about this thing? It is it is really weird to hear about innovations from spacex while elon musk continues to be an absolute idiot on the internet and twitter so i don't know how you're reconciling that and how you're feeling about what spacex is still doing because he's still still leading spacex right i uh i gotta say i'm i'm very conflicted because there were <laughs> there were shots elon was in like yes I, I, their, their star base for the launch you say so, like, they would Carmack cut, they would there. cut the shots of him and mm-hmm. he's just like not doing anything and it's like okay cool elon um but yeah I mean, but like at the, at the other hand, like I think the 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 achievement that they kind of reached here is like notable because I think it's twice as much thrust as the Saturn V rocket, which was like you know the pinnacle of like you know rocket technology for a long time, and and it's funny because like it exploded, but like I was watching the stream, um, so the, the issue was that like it uh, the rocket Starship tried to flip over and then separate into the two different stages. And it didn't separate, and then it kept spinning, and then it exploded. But the people at SpaceX cheered when it exploded because they, I think their their perspective was like, hey, this thing is huge, it has too much thrust, and this is, you know, clearly just a test. So the fact that it even got in the air was like, hey, everything's all gravy from here on out. And so, like... You know, it's it's weird to see like a rocket exploding and people cheering for it. But the optics, I, I guess the optics that's an accomplishment. of it feel like that is like John Oliver and everybody are going to make fun of this mm-hmm. because like look at look at how out of touch the tech industry is. They are cheering a blown up rocket, right? And I think the optics aren't great, even though scientifically, like yeah, NASA had to deal with a lot of failures and explosions and things to to kind of learn from them. Sherlyn, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, the same thing, which is that Elon's, you know, being so distracted by Twitter that it seems like he's been able to step away from overly being involved in SpaceX, right? And maybe even Tesla. He was never really involved. Right. From what I heard yeah, is that, yeah. like, SpaceX was able to, like, kind of manage him well in that they kept him mm-hmm, away from mm-hmm. the real day-to-day businesses and, like, that sort of stuff. And so I don't, I don't, you know, connect him too much to this business. He's kind of a face for it at some point points but that's about it um and yet like sam i'm still conflicted i'm like i don't want spacex to do badly it's but i don't con- conflict is the thing yeah. i mean we do need things to bring larger payloads into into orbit so i think that's the here here's a quote from our article the 39 total raptor engines 33 in the booster six in the starship are powerful enough to haul payloads up to 330,000 pounds to low earth or- orbit when fully usable and 550,000 pounds when expendable. So that's that's pretty good because the Falcon Heavy uh, tops out uh, 141,000 pounds. So 
it, it can bring more things. It's a big rocket. It's a it's a big phallic symbol there for Elon Musk to point at and be like, that's mine. Um, I feel like that's probably part of why he's doing this. Um, you know, when I hosted Twit a couple of weeks ago, one thing we did is um, fan cast your Elon Musk movie. Like there, somebody's going to make like a a you know a somewhat serious dramedy type of thing based on everything happening now with Elon Musk. Yeah. Who do you want to be oh, Elon Musk in a movie? I don't know. Because I, I think I came up with the perfect answer, but I want you guys to 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 think on your feet. Um, Matt Damon. I'm the, you kind of caught me off guard with this one. The, the, I'm, the person I'm thinking, I can't remember his name, is the uh, the one guy from Independence Day. <laughs> not Hemsworth. Guy. Not not obviously not Will Smith, the guy who played like the the president oh, in the Independence Day. Independence I mean, Day. Yeah, uh, he would be good. Here here is my thing, and I think would be perfect for it. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is Elon Musk, who can both balance the sort of ego of him, but the inherent comedy of a fool. I think is a great. I think so. I think Elon Musk the, wants to be a comedian so bad with the yeah. right haircut too. Yeah, and their faces, they're a similar age. Their faces actually aren't that I, far I don't apart. know how tall so really Elon Musk is. I almost feel like Will Ferrell might be mm-hmm. too tall, but... They're both pretty tall. They're both pretty tall, yeah, from what I've seen. Um, but I just feel like that that is the image I have in my like mind. Like Anchorman, Ferrell, but Elon also Musk. Done, okay. Like Anchorman. He's also done the sort of like semi-serious type of movie stuff, too. You're thinking of Bill Pullman, um, Sam? Yes. I love yeah, Bill yeah, Pullman, yeah. sure. I, I love Bill Pullman, but I want like... I want like somebody Ooh. who can really tap into. I agree. He he might not have the like charisma to pull off like Elon's like weirdness uh, in in the way that it needs. You to need be done. a weirdo. I think I know you who I absolute wait, wait, weirdo. I changed my answer. Yeah. Jesse Plemons. Sure. <laughs> I mean, listen, Jesse Plemons can do anything, and they they actually have similar yeah similar faces. Types that, too. Yeah. But uh, sure, sure. I, Jesse Plemons. He's a more serious. I, love Jesse I don't know. But anyway, congrats. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think SpaceX. That's kind of how I feel about this news. At least it launched. At least it didn't explode on yeah, the... Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, Elon mm-hmm. Musk was a lot more tolerable when he would show up on SpaceX live yes. streams, like, yes. once every quarter, and then instead of just, like, constantly spouting nonsense on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Let's move on. I feel like I, every every week, we got to lead with, like, Elon stuff, so that's just how it is. Um, we saw late last Friday, Montana... Um, the, the Montana state legislature passed a bill requiring app stores to block TikTok in the state so that Montana could end up becoming the first state to fully ban TikTok. Chris Bell was kind of waiting up and just being really prepared to take on this news. Um, this is the first time a state has done it. We have seen government institutions kind of ban it. We've seen like some cities, uh, you know, from from government devices also ban it as well. Any any thoughts? Because we've talked about this a bit. And I do feel like all these, the banning of TikTok is short-sighted when we really need to be talking about data privacy laws. And that's like the important thing. Any any thoughts on this now that Montana has made a big step towards it? I'm not sure how they're going to enforce it. I'm also not sure how much of this had to do with um, uh, the, you know, the CEO testifying and all of that. Um, be interesting to see if it was a direct result of that, you know, my Singaporean, you know, brethren. Um, but the... Yeah, how I mean, what are you gonna like geo lock? Like once you enter the state of Montana, your phone. That's, that's gonna... what they're doing. Yeah. yeah, it seems it seems like it will just stop working in Montana. Cool, because the IP is somewhere. Can you, can you imagine there. using a VPN? Yeah, just mm-hmm. to get... can you imagine using a VPN just to download TikTok? That's our prediction: oh, is that yeah, all these bans are going to really cause the VPN industry to thrive. <laughs> uh, stay it's tuned. It's gonna teach kids how to VPN, <laughs> and you know what? 
Good, good. You got to break some rules, kids. Uh, you got to learn how to like br- get around all the blocks on the internet. I feel like that is a good life skill the, for the children. VPNs are like the Gen, gen Z's uh, torrents, torrenting. Uh, yeah, there you go. Well, you got to, you also used to, you had to VPN to torrent safely too before yeah. your ISP would kind of get to you. Yep. So, anyway, that, that, that's it's a whole thing. Uh, there was also a story in Bloomberg uh, this week. Um, which is now blocked out for me, so unfortunately. But the headline is TikTok could get a lifeline from big tech as a U.S. ban looms. So it does seem like the other tech companies are looking at what the government is kind of doing to TikTok and um, kind of banding together and may want to make a push. This includes IBM, question mark. Uh, Microsoft and Apple are groups like looking into how uh, the government is looking at TikTok. Two right out of now. three and, of those are companies yeah. that tried to buy TikTok when it was up yeah. for sale. That's interesting. That's interesting. So this is not the end of the story. Who knows if the Montana thing will actually pass? They signed the bill. Um, Who knows? Who knows what's going to be next or if other states will do it? It just it feels so weird when we keep looking at what our government is doing and being like, guys, that's not that's not solving anything. That's not going to actually do anything. You need to listen to the tech experts here. Anyway, next story. Netflix is shutting down its DVD rental business in September R.I.P. Red Envelopes. I this kind of made me feel a lot of things. I don't know about you, Sam or Cher. Like, did did you in Singapore? Did you guys have the Netflix? We did not have the mail like the DVD mailing service things. Mm-hmm. We would go and rent DVDs. VCDs were more popular for us, VCDs. and we would go to Malaysia. A garbage and buy format them that was so ch- popular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sam, I mean, um, to, to me, the the big news is that they were still sending yeah. out uh, yeah. DVDs in the mail. I was not aware of this. I know people um, who still subscribe to it because you can't get access to everything on Netflix streaming because of licensing rights and whatnot. Whereas the DVD library is like everything. you can, Everything at the touch of your hands. I will say it was a weird thing. I feel like when Netflix started sending out DVDs, when I first learned about Netflix, it was like late 90s, right? When this thing launched and my parents and I, we signed up for it. Um, we never really did Blockbuster. And people have all these memories of Blockbuster. Blockbuster was expensive. And it was inconvenient. Um, Occasionally, I'd go to like rent games with my friends because games were also crazy expensive back then. Um, $80 at least for a lot of new games. Um, But Netflix was just like, hey, pay us what? What was it? 15, 20 bucks a month and just just rent. We will mail you a DVD. We'll mail you a DVD in this really like precarious, very thin envelope. Um, But that ended up being a huge business for them. That built up pretty quickly. They helped you kill uh, Blockbuster and other rental options. We did see some alternatives pop up. Um, was it Redbox was like the other thing that kind of came out. I was like, oh, here's just a machine. You pay a dollar and a disc pops out and you bring it back, you know? So we saw like the rental business kind of upend itself uh, in the 90s and 2000s. This does make me sad because I used to I used to do this all the time. Um, pre-Netflix streaming, I was always rotating Netflix DVDs in and out, so... Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and it, I just really appreciate how, like, the whole mail rental system, like, I have really fond memories of going to Blockbuster and just, like, looking around at, like, the selection, and that was really fun, but, like, the process of, like, returning your your rentals every time, that was just was so tedious, and it's like, oh, okay, this is great. And then, of course, every time you talk about Netflix and Blockbuster, you have to remember that, like... Uh, Netflix tried to sell itself to Blockbuster way back in the day, and Blockbuster was like, "No, we're too good for you guys. Uh, uh, g- good luck with your your mail DVD plan." And then look what happened to both companies. Good, look what happened. Um, 
I feel like I don't know. There's a blockbuster show on Netflix. Um, it's it's weird how Gen Z kind of um, learns about things that happened before they were even freaking alive. Um, but it is always funny to just be like, man, did you know Netflix used to send discs out? Oh, I have seen one or two. They're going to resurrect it. They're yeah. going to bring back like blockbuster style, like rent a DVD sort of thing. I don't know. No, they're not going to do hard discs i think that's the problem with the netflix pop-ups yeah. where you can go and physically rent uh rent dvds yeah. because i think it would be a blockbuster pop-up brought to you by netflix <laughs> you know there's still something nice about like you go into something like a, a blockbuster and you're like browsing the selection and then you get to interact with people i think there's a social aspect of it that like might be what people might miss so the pop-up seems like a way to bring that back i don't know just physically holding the physical media is on such a down low like it's it's going down so quickly and we're all relying on streaming and the minute your internet goes out or you have a hiccup or something like you, you have nothing to watch and that is a weird precarious place to be um shout out to libraries shout out to libraries hey libraries still have physical media libraries will rent you discs uh they'll rent you dvds they will rent you book oh, yeah they'll rent you games in some yeah. libraries some will do ebooks um actually most will do ebooks now so hey you, do you miss physical spaces do you miss human interaction please support your local library Sherlyn, i saw the story about instagram letting you add five links to your profile now so you can stop using linktree how do you feel about this this feels like it was done for you yeah i mean I, I, perfect i will now add I, i've never sent out signed up for a link in bio or a linktree thing because i just didn't want to it seemed dumb and then now finally i can add a link to my Twitter, for whatever reason, or a link to my upcoming no, podcast. I've shut no. it out on this podcast before. Uh, there you go. Does it actually exist? Are you recording? Yeah, I've recorded. I just haven't edited or put anything out. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, Trillin, a podcast that has been recorded, not edited, is not a it's, podcast. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a protocast. It's very me. Yeah, it's a it's yeah. A there you go. That's what I'm going to call it. No, it's a pre. It's a precast. There you go. But yeah, no, this is um, why did Instagram do this to begin with? Like, why did they only limit to one link? I think they just couldn't figure this, out. The this format. is the thing that drives mm -hmm. me yeah. insane yes. about Instagram yes. is it's like the most user unfriendly service. And I every time like I want to try to do something with Instagram and I can't do it, I ha have to figure out why. And then no one can explain why. It's like back back in the day, and this it's still really clunky. It's like you couldn't upload photos from a PC on Instagram. It's like why? Like. Why? If because I'm taking photos on a big camera yeah. and editing them in Photoshop to make them look nice and I'm not just doing some silly filter, I, I can't upload it. And it's like, it's, it's so, the same thing. Like, I, I think it always went back to Facebook does not want you to leave Instagram. What are you doing? Is that a link to the Internet outside of our little circle of photos? Like, don't leave. You only get one link. You get one chance to get people out of here. Otherwise, you're trapped on Instagram. Yeah. And Linktree only exists because uh, Instagram would not let you put links in bios. Yep. And then look at Linktree. Linktree is now a, a billion-dollar company because oh my God. what? Oh, my God. Because they let you, like, make a web page that has a bunch of links on it? I don't I really, understand I, it. Yeah, I hate, I hate the internet. Sometimes. I hate the tech world sometimes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember setting up a single web page on my domain with a couple links on it. Give me a billion dollars. Come on. <laughs> That's how it goes. Um Another piece of news that dropped last, was it early this week? It was early this week. Um, there was a rumor that Sega was trying to buy Angry Birds over the weekend. I think we all laughed about it because the initial rumor was that it was going to be over a billion dollars or something. Um, then on, when it was the 17th? On Monday, the news was officially announced that Sega is buying Rovio, the maker of Angry Birds, for $776 million. So it's like, 
it's like Sega took a bundle of cash and like put it in a catapult and pointed it right at right at Angry Birds, I guess, or right at Rovio. How do you guys feel about this? The maker of Sonic now owns Angry Birds or will own them soon. I, I just I don't understand. It's, surely there must be something better Sega can use its money on. Sega has a lot um, of money. That's the I, thing. Like I think people remember Sega as like kind of a failing company, but they they're doing pretty well these days. Yeah. Yeah, and, and but like the thing to me is like Sega has been doing well off the strength of what's like, hey, they're doing PC ports and they're doing PC ports like in a decent way, and you know they're expanding you know multi-platform support and uh and, and so that's really good and like doing this is like seems like a step backwards for them. This sort of reminds me when I believe Activision bought King. And they were like, um, oh, "Okay, this is this is a great way to like bolster our bottom line." But like, it doesn't make me feel any different about either company, um, or maybe a little bit worse about Sega because it's like, here's a thing that I don't really care about. What and were it's you like, gonna say, Sherlyn? I was just thinking of like oh, yeah, using ahead. Street Fighter characters as angry birds and and throwing them at each other. I don't know, just whatever Sega is mm. like. Street Fighter. Wait, wait, wait. Let let's let's take a step back here. <laughs> I know Street Fighter is not, but I think it was I, I tie Sega to Street Fighter a lot because I don't know why. I think it's the machines. <laughs> because I that's what I was gonna say. Okay, what, co- okay. what what company do you think owns Street Fighter? I, don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. Now Capcom. Sorry. There you go. I um, love. I gotta bring. Uh, you know, when we talk about game stuff, I just want to like transport Shillin out. Oh, you should have seen back in the day when Jess will know what's up. Well, out. Sam and our former coworker <laughs> would make me like comment, do commentary for uh-huh. like, what was it Mario games or something. I would just be like. Super Mario Quest. That's your Super favorite Mario game Quest, of all time. Yeah, I made up a game. It was great. It mm-hmm. was just yeah. I don't uh-huh. know shit. Oh wow. About shit. So Super I'll just Mario's shit. Mystic Final Quest. Yeah, yes. Super Mario. Quest. Um, it's it's fine. It's totally fine. We won't make sh- fun of Sherlin too much. Um, people are in the chat room are pointing out like yeah, they they play the Sonic Angry Birds clone and like yeah, yes, everything's on the table. Put Sonic in in a catapult thingy and fling him across the screen, uh, redo Sonic Spinball, give us the Sonic Spinball, you know, version with, like, Angry Birds mechanics or something. Um, I've seen, like, the revenue stuff of Rubio. They're doing they're doing pretty well, too, but not as much, not as well as they used to when Angry Birds was, like, big and hot. So I guess I can kind of see the move. It just feels like, what are you, what are you doing, Sega? I guess you just right, really They're, they're buying a franchise that's past its prime, which is, like, it's it's a it's a business move, but it's not something that anything anyone's going to get excited about. I think I saw revenues of like three hundred million a year or so. So if that like continues for a couple of years, eventually it'll it'll pay for itself, and maybe it puts Sega in a place to just be better at mobile. And let's be honest, like I'm of the opinion that the Sonic games were never very good. <gasps> How dare you? All the two D ones when I was a kid. Yeah. Sonic was never good. It, Sonic no, is no Mario. He, he's right. There's like Sonic two no good Sonic games. The other are just like hot I, messes. I like the very yeah. early yeah. ones. I'm talking like yeah, 2D like you said. Yeah, the, yeah. right. The first, the first like couple were yeah. good, and then they just couldn't like figure it out ever yeah. again. Yeah, it's a uh, Sonic moves too fast, and the platforming is bad. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, deal with it. Deal with this opinion. Um, but there is room to do something with Sonic on mobile. Hey, maybe, so uh, maybe we'll see something. Maybe yeah. uh, what's the next big game studio? I don't know. Fucking Nintendo or something. We'll buy uh, the Kim Kardashian <laughs> games. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Th- 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 those those, those up and coming sh- upstarts over at Nintendo. Yeah, sh- sh- um, they are a studio. Sure. Look, yeah, they're publishing. What? Naughty studio, Dog yeah. is one. I don't know. Something. <laughs> Yeah, maybe one of those will buy Kim Kardashian. This is I love I love this like Sherlyn grasping at straws to name yeah. the video game. Bungie will buy one. Drunk yeah. Sherlyn talking about games. Uh, but they'll buy the Kim Kardashian <laughs> game. That one's uh there you go. Or the Gordon Ramsay cooking dash game. There you go. 
much more money. Let's just turn the volume down slowly on Trillin's mic. <laughs> slowly, slowly. Let's move on to some EV news. And actually, Sam, I'm glad you're here because you've been doing a lot of EV coverage for us. And I'm jealous because you got to see the you got to see the Kia EV9, right? I'm which yeah. I, I, I low-key think is like one of the most important electric vehicles of the year. Yep. I, I concur. I've been looking at that thing for a while. Um, sorry, Julio, that is not on our link list. Uh, but the EV9, like, is it's a big car. It's a big, potentially affordable SUV. And I, my my big thing is I, I just tested out the Ravine R1S for like a week, and I love it. It's a perfect family car. And I also think like maybe we're getting EVs all wrong. Maybe we are just doing this all wrong. Because why does it? Why is it a big ass SUV? You know, why is the EV9 a big-ass SUV? It doesn't need to be. doesn't need that big front. doesn't need to be so large and dangerous for pedestrians. So, I, okay, I'm, I'm a little conflicted. But if you're looking for an EV right now, probably good news if you're looking for a new Tesla because uh, Tesla just cut their prices. Uh, the Model 3 is now priced below 40000 Uh They've just had their sixth price cut of the year. The Model Y has also been cut quite a bit too. And if you add in the $7,500 EV tax credit, like it, Gets less and less. My God, Sam thoughts on this. I knew I know you're thinking about EVs at this point. Yeah, and I think this kind of shows that, like, you know, Tesla. You know, they get dinged for like you know comments about like build quality and stuff like that. But they are the market leaders in terms of EV sales, and so they're really being able to flex their muscle in terms of putting a lot of the automakers who aren't quite you know on their level yet put them in the back seat when it comes to pricing because that's the big issue is that. You know, that's one of the reasons I think the EV9 is really important is because if you look at the number of like three row EVs out there, there's really not a lot. And especially there aren't pretty much any under about 70,000. And so people are expecting the EV9 to cost around 50, mid 50,000. And so there you have like, hey, it's not like cheap, but it's a kind of an affordable family. That, that is what a mid size SUV costs. Like a gas powered mm-hmm. mid size SUV costs about that. I paid about forty five thousand for the. I have a Volvo XC ninety from twenty nineteen. So, you know that car initially cost over seventy thousand dollars. So these things are you're playing in a very high price range right now. I agree, it's important. Um, what do you think about the Model Three itself, Sam? Uh, I mean, the, the Model 3 is a fine car. Uh, I mean, the sedans aren't like, you know, everyone for some reason, like, especially in the US, like everyone just gravitates towards SUVs. And it, there's it definitely was a whole thing. Be- it was a, did you do you remember like when they first started popping up in the 90s? Right. Like the CRV was one of the first ones out there. Um, the RAV4 was here. And it does seem like people needed they want to hold stuff and they needed a thing to hold stuff. They didn't want wagons, even though wagons were still popular in Europe and still are. But we don't have any more wagons unless you're buying like a luxury car. So I'm a practical guy. I basically got a car because when I had a kid, I was like, I got to we got to move around. We got to move around better than we do in the subway. Um, And so when I moved to Georgia, that's when I bought my first car in like a decade. Then when I had the second kid, I was like, oh, we need a bigger car now because there's more stuff. There's extra strollers, more bags and whatnot. Um. That is kind of the the curse of it. It is really hard to live with a family with a sedan, basically. Like, you you don't fit strollers or anything in there. I wish more wagons existed. I feel like that would be a good thing, right? Yeah, and and for some reason, the U.S. has, like, convinced the entire country that, like, wagons or estates are deeply uncool and vans are deeply uncool. And it's like, 
I think part of that is a failing on the automakers to like, hey, there's a way to make interesting versions of these cars. You're just not doing it. You're just not doing it. And then, yeah, yeah. There should be more minivans too. Like, hey, I bought a minivan before this Volvo and it ended up um, being a huge mistake because I bought a Chrysler Pacifica, a hybrid, you know, plug-in hybrid. And Chrysler stinks. Chrysler's just not great with build quality. So they recalled it like basically within a couple months of me owning it and I didn't know when it was getting fixed. So I ended up just having to trade to two different car. But anyway, this is the whole thing. Let's talk about the Polestar 4 EV SUV. This one I saw the news hit because um, this is another like luxury car people are really looking forward to with one key feature. It has no rear window. It has no back window. Sherlyn, you were looking... That's weird. Questioning, like so there's questioning. a camera on the back for... There is a camera on the back that you could look at, sure, which pops up in like the main screen, I believe, but there is no rear window. So if that camera fails, if the car is off, you got nothing back there. Does that seem good to you? Seems like a kidnapper's dream come true to me. Like, uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like how that's where your mind goes. I mean, yes. You're, you're not wrong. You know? Sure. I mean, that's where my mind went after the whether there's a camera on the back. I mean, like, I'm like, look, you. when I learned to drive, which I still don't... <laughs> whatever when i learned to drive in singapore my you're driving proto driving in, just in, like your proto podcast exactly yes. pre-drive my instructor was like you had to look in your rear view mirror every like three five seconds or something i was like that seems dumb just keep an eye on it that's yeah, too yeah, much yeah. but but you know it's a, it's a whole thing right where you have to do it isn't it like i don't know is this legal this seems not completely okay so so, so just to clarify there's there's no rear rear, rear windshield but there is a camera, and the camera pipes the feed into the rearview mirror. Oh, so there is still a mirror. So okay. it's like, yeah, this is still still a rearview mirror, and you still get. And so I think to me, I'm not as annoyed because, especially on a lot of these more coupe SUVs with like the slanted roofs, the rear windows windows on those cars are tiny, and they're that's kind true. of useless as that's it true. is. Yeah. And so I think that's like that's what Polestar's thinking. It's like, hey, why put a rear window that you can't see out of anyways? Let's put a camera. You'll get a better view. You get a wider view. And so theoretically, but you I don't only get have the view through the it. through the rear. Is thing. there? You don't get, is there a like, sky if your car's roof? Off. Sorry, like one of those <laughs> the sky roof. What's that called? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a big there glass a roof. Okay, yeah, great. yeah. Go on. There's a big glass like sunroof mm-hmm. or moonroof if sunroof, it doesn't open. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I just feel like I, I'm kind of into Polestar. Polestar is the like sportier version of Volvo. It's like a sister company of Volvo. I am, I don't know, I'm a little Volvo pilled at the moment. So I'm I'm like really looking forward to the EX90, which is yeah. the Volvo like everyone wants to I see. I think I sat in that one at, at CES. You did it was sit, so sit nice. Here. I don't I even think you even wrote about it. I didn't and I'm so angry. I wrote about at you. the BMW yeah. and I didn't write about the Volvo yes. because we ended up not. Yeah. 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 We made. Yeah. We almost tried to make a video. Also, about it. also, also, one of the more important cars of this year. I feel like the Volvo EX90 and the Kia EV9 are like the big three-row cars that um, you know families are looking at, EV fans are looking at. Um, and, and unless I'm mistaken, the uh, VW ID Buzz uh, I think goes on sale this year. And so between those three cars, suddenly there's like a lot more options in terms of like uh, family EVs. I'm working on a piece where basically, like, yeah, I don't maybe we shouldn't look like trucks uh ben i see you saying like americans want to buy cars that look like the cars we normally like and this is true and tesla has been doing it for over a decade and it is now the year 2023 and i do feel like we can we can try to be a little different the the vw buzz does seem very very exciting like people are into that i believe pre-orders were like really popular with that um but have you guys seen the canoe 
the C-A-N-O-O, mm-hmm. like a little, little potty V. It looks like a bubble. Looks like a bubble. Give me, give me a bubble. Give me, give me, give me weird little cars, little EVs that can do different things. The Honda E, the really cute one that Steve Dent uh, drove for Engadget in Paris. Like Europe has it. It's like really short range, tiny little EV Honda. We will never see in the U.S., even though it's adorable as hell. And I feel like for a lot of people, it would be a really nice commuter car, um, or at least a nice like drive around car. Um, anyway, we'll have you back, Sam. Let's talk about EVs. Let's do, let's do some EV chat in general. Let's move on to some Spotify news. And to talk about this with us, let's just bring on Ben Elman, our podcast producer. Hey, Ben, how's it going? Yes, I'm coming on for the audio industry news. Yeah, Ben. I mean, Ben knows what's up. But we've got we've got a thing that I'm sure you have a lot of opinions on. But also, I will just say first up, uh, Spotify is shutting down Hurdle. On May fifth, that's the Wordle clone that was. I, I've never played Hurdle. Was it? Was it good? Do you, are you guys? I about loved this? Hurdle. But Hurdle had a lot of problems, unfortunately. Like, apparently, Spotify really wanted it to like be a click through thing. Like, they bought it from whoever made it, and they hoped people would click through to Spotify to like actually listen to the song. But people were like happy with the game. And then people stopped being really happy with the game because it always started from the very beginning of the track. And there were some times when like the track would start with just a little bit of silence. Was the game just here here's the thing, name the no, track? It's, like, it's name the, the first song? second like, what, what of the, the track, which to what Ben is saying, sometimes the first second for a second is just uh-huh. silence. So you lose a chance. It's useless. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you yeah. yeah and the yeah. scoring is based on how quickly you guessed it so like you would just completely miss you know the highest scoring first guess guess if it was uh, so silent. the first second was like uh, the whatever the first try is can you guess the song based on the first second of audio you hear then your next try is two seconds and four then six eight then sixteen so it's not like only you know the um first four seconds in the first four shots so you do get a, like a significant chunk of the song by the by the fourth guest i mean that, that's kind of how wordle works too like it's it's just kind of a random thing like maybe you get a good maybe you guess well that day or you don't and that's it or you're screwed right like that's uh that's kind of the heart of all these games i never i never got into any of these games other than playing wordle the first couple of times people started hyping it up but okay sad about hurdle sad if, if you guys have thoughts about hurdle or what spotify is doing in general shoot us a note podcastinggadget.com ben i feel like the thing you really want to talk about though is the little story about spotify expanding distribution for some gimlet podcasts uh, Gimlet Media was a small little startup, um, you know, the little podcast studio they bought uh, several years ago. They had some great shows uh, like Crime Town and American Terror. The problem was when Spotify started buying podcasts, they kept them on Spotify, which to me seems like against the entire point of podcasts, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. So let me get into this. Yes. So, um, I mean, depending on your point of view gimlet was not that small it was like one of the bigger or or most visible um for-profit producers it got bought for like 200 million dollars or something which is a ridiculous sum given how much money they were making i was actually at a audio industry meetup a couple of days ago when this news uh, came out and so we immediately started talking about it a bit and the really frustrating thing is that Gimlet or or Spotify uh, laid off about three dozen Gimlet employees, a little bit more than three dozen Gimlet employees in October of last year. That includes like some of the producers that um, 
were still working for Spotify and like had just finished up Reply All because Reply All shut down. Also shut down. How to Save a Planet. That was one of the great. Yep. Like, How yep. to Save a Planet. Um, like there were a couple of other shows, including um, Every Little Thing, which is just like a, you know, here's something more interesting than, or, or here's a subject that's more interesting than you thought. Like literally the most podcast podcast. <laughs> um, but apparently they were doing pretty well. Ad sales were doing pretty well, but it went behind the paywall and it just yeah. disappeared. Not not quite a paywall. I want to be clear too because we have. A oh yes, oh yes. Okay, not a paywall, no, that was yeah, that was a problem. Wall. Yes, yeah. that was a problem with the article. Also, it went behind. It went Spotify exclusive, and it was really difficult for people to so uh, find. Even with the free Spotify stuff, you could still hear some of these, but you can't. You can't just have it in your podcast app. That's yes, like yes. Thing. I apologize yeah. for making that mistake. So when. Spotify started taking some of the Gimlet shows, um, Spotify exclusive. Producers said, and this is not like privileged information, this is, you know, stuff that has been um, talked about in Vulture to Nick Qua at Hot Pod and other uh, industry watchers, that downloads listenership went down pretty precipitously. And the folks, especially at uh, the show How to Save a Planet, were really like frustrated that they weren't given the promotion that they were said that they would be given. Um, so, like new people on Spotify just wouldn't be able to um, find the show, even Spotify if Spotify spent a really crap ton for like Joe Rogan and stuff, and like kept defending him, even though people were straight up protesting his existence on their platform, but never really gave Gimlet like enough. Enough promotion, I'd say, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know if they um, gave any of the Gimlet shows the promotion that they really wanted, um, and um, so I'm saying that this is a like part of a bigger problem. Like, once a lot of the Spotify shows went exclusive, they disappeared. They disappeared from criticism also, which is, like, really um, important for finding new listeners. Um, I made a note that I had a little Twitter conversation, RIP, that usable version of Twitter, <laughs> um, with Peter Kafka from Recode. Uh -huh. And he was talking about, you know, which spo shows were going to go Spotify exclusive around the time when this was starting in late 2018 or early 2019. And I noted to him, like, hey, did you know, like, Crime Town has this whole other season? Like, Crime Town was pretty popular. It was by the creators of the Jinx. Like, it was a pretty big deal. I remember Crime Town. Yeah, do, they did have another season. Yeah, they did have another huh. season, and nobody ever heard about it because yeah. it was Spotify exclusive. It's uh, so. I, I mean, we got we got to go back to like the nature of the internet here. But I think the the joy of podcasts, right? Is podcasts are born from the invention of RSS, and RSS was just like, hey, here's a feed, here's a feed of stuff. I'm just gonna put put you know, bring it to your face. You don't you don't have to go browse individual sites like you put your stuff in a feed reader and stuff comes to you and podcasts were born out of that. Like just like here's let's deliver some content right to you. If you break that format, then you're not a podcast anymore. You're just like you're a Spotify radio show. And I don't know if anybody really cares about that. So that that's like my they're not podcasts if they're not on RSS anymore. Anyway, I'm I'm glad I'm glad these podcasts are expanding. I feel like it's too late, especially if you've laid off uh, some of your great staff. You know, like this, it, it, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to learn anything from this. And I wish, uh, I wish people who buy podcast studios treat them like podcasts. Like that's the main thing. Like let them live on RSS, uh, try to monetize in other ways. Like that's, that's, that's the whole point of podcasting is to have it be open to RSS and other feed readers. So that's my thing. 
Let's move on to AI updates real quick. Uh, you guys probably may have heard this AI generated song that hit. Um, it is a fake Drake and the weekend collaboration called Hard on My Sleeve, um, which went viral. Sounds surprisingly good, which is the weird thing to say, um, both as a song lyrically um, and just like the actual AI voices and everything. And within short order, um, Universal, I believe, um, started just like pushing to take it down. So it was on Spotify. It was on YouTube and all over the place. They've been pushing takedowns all over the place. So it's no longer on Spotify. It's not easy to find. It's easy to find on YouTube. It keeps popping yeah, you up can, channels. Yeah, you, you can, can find it, it if you look. Um, we found it on SoundCloud. Um, listen, take a second. Let's hear a short clip from this. Um, just take a second to hear this clip. what's unique here um is that the song sounds pretty good i feel i feel like this is the first example we've seen of a completely artificially made song basically using the voices and styles of existing artists and it's interesting to see how universal is responding to this too um, there was a quote here. Um, let me see here. A UMG spokesman told Billboard, the training of generative AI using our artist's music, which represents both a breach of our agreements and a violation of copyright law, as well as the availability of infringing content created with generative AI on DSPs, begs the question as to which side of history all stakeholders in the music ecosystem want to be on. The side of artists, fans, and human creative expression, or on the side of deep fakes, fraud, and denying artists their due compensation. I feel like this is going to be the industry stance moving forward. Sherlyn, like you are, you are somebody who sings. You're somebody who knows about the voice side of things and you pay attention to music. Like, how do you feel about this? Have you heard the song yet? Um, I'd like to point out that Julio uh, said another Drake AI and Bad Bunny song is going viral. It's, I, I don't yep, know who yep, is yep, 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 yep. putting these together. They're choosing like the most, obviously the most like on-trend artists at the moment. Some of, some of the biggest. There is a mystery account called Ghostwriter was making oh, it, but okay. we don't know who's well, Here's it. Here's yeah. what it is. I want I haven't heard the thing other than that clip we just listened to, and uh, I really want to hear all of it. I will say as a singer, like a... a, a trying to be sing an aspiring singer the one of Proto the things singer, you yes, kind of try yes. to figure out as a singer in the sea of so many people who are also singers is that you figure out your voice like what's your what do you bring to the table and i don't think ai has the ability to do that so i'm not too too concerned uh it i'm more concerned for like songwriters melody writers because like people who you know if you learn theory of music it's all very mathematical and that's what ai can do very well it can generate endless combinations or permutations of notes and harmonies and that's what you need to come up with a new banger who knows it's scary um julio's also pointing out there's a michael jackson ai voice singing <laughs> a weekend song he says it slaps um there there's nothing stopping any of this like we we are past the tipping point where you can re reproduce any voice. Um, one of my podcast hosts has reproduced my voice in AI, and it is scary, like how, uh, yeah, yeah. Something it's, like it's five pretty, years ago, the Engadget team yeah. at MWC made like copies of each other's voices, and I made Matt Smith's mm -hmm. voice say Japan, Japan, Japan. Like we've, we, it's been around. We've done this, but now they're getting better. <laughs> it's been around, but now it's like, 
kind of indistinguishable and also when you put it in a song with a voice that is usually auto-tuned as well like that's the drake thing like the drake drake has never sounded like real to me um this sounds sounds like auto-tuned drake that's that's kind of the thing so yeah i I was about to i was about to ask because i feel like an auto-tuned voice is a lot easier for an ai to recreate so maybe this like pushes the industry to stop using auto-tune or use auto-tune oh no that that will never happen for us no we're done auto-tune and melodyne is absolutely here to stay yeah it's here to stay or at least like the very robotic like the obvious use cases where it's like the auto-tune becomes a person's style and it's like you can do better uh you, you, you know figure out your own voice like sherlyn said and then maybe stop relying on the autotune so much okay yeah but i'm also always rooting for uh t-pain to make a huge comeback i mean you know <laughs> that, that would, that would <laughs> but be something. inside the industry i think this could end up being a huge deal maybe maybe because uh if you have writers saying like hey i think I wrote this great song and it, like these two huge artists would be really good. The most common thing you hear from A&Rs is like, oh, I don't hear it. Like, I, I don't think it would be good. No, you literally can. You literally could now. That's, I mean, it's that thing. I, I'm thinking of like when screenwriters, like uh, budding screenwriters, proto screenwriters try to bring scripts to people or try to get people to read things. And everybody in Hollywood was like, no, no, no. Don't want to see it. I don't want to see your ideas. I don't, if I, if I see it, and then something, an idea of that ends up in a future thing, you could sue me, you know? So that's why most people do not take open scripts. I do feel like it's kind of like this too, where even if this thing goes viral, like nobody can do anything with it. You can't legally make money from it. Uh, It will be taken down. You kind of make a thing to prove you can make a thing. And maybe it'll go viral and be like, be like this song right now, which you can find all over the internet, but is officially being taken down in many, many spots. So, hey, this is a weird situation we're in. It's very weird, um, but that's that's what AI updates are all about. We also have a story about Reddit um, saying it's going to charge companies for a, uh, API access, uh, especially when it comes to uh, AI training. And that's kind of interesting, too, because we have talked about these large language models, and they need data. They need our conversations. They need information from the Internet. And I think Reddit is just like, well, if you want our data, you're going to have to pay for it. I don't think that's unfair. Sam, Sherlyn, Ben, thoughts on that? Um, I was I was going to say, I, I feel like the, the whole like recent trend uh, on the Internet is like big data and like trying to scrape up big pieces of data. And so now that we have companies who like realize this are like, hey, if you're going to use our data, at least give me a cut. Right. And like this is and I, I think Elon was on Twitter saying um, he's going to he might sue Microsoft for um, for some of the chat GBT scraping Twitter for data. And so that is like going to be interesting to see how all of these companies kind of handle these API requests with, you know, the advent of like the modern AI and like the new capabilities that some mm-hmm. of these AIs are showing off. Well, you know what? Speaking of AI's potential to disrupt the media landscape, uh, I just see a story that Trillin dropped in. Yeah, I wanted to shout that out briefly saying, for sure. Just can you is breaking right now. Read this tweet out. So the tweet is uh, breaking news. What? From Ben Mullen, uh, BuzzFeed News is shutting down. Uh, Jonah Peretti, the one of the co-founders of BuzzFeed, sent out a memo that this tweet includes uh, saying that HuffPo and BuzzFeed.com have signaled that they will open a number of select roles for members of BuzzFeed News. This, is, this seems like a, the, in the middle of the actual email that was announcing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why they're closing BuzzFeed News down. Um 
it kind of talks about how they face some challenges, a pandemic, a fading SPAC market because the SPAC vehicle is how I think HuffPro and mm-hmm. BuzzFeed News came together. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they're integrating BuzzFeed with Complex as well. So basically the short story is BuzzFeed News looks like it's going away. We're going to see more listicles from BuzzFeed, but no no longer. Didn't they? And they just talked about like using, yeah. being very open to using AI to produce some of those listicles as well too. Right. Like, um so there are death of media right here folks yeah there's there's a lot of ai but i I don't know that ai is necessarily taking over jobs actively in this i just think buzzfeed well it doesn't it doesn't have to take it over it just has to kill yeah kill the jobs i think that like everybody working at buzzfeed news buzzfeed it's it's news division has always been kind of like you know the angle it's kind of been going all over the place it was not a very focused angle it was not they just kind of like but they they've done they've done they good have. reports like they were that's what's sad yeah. um but yeah. they won a pulitzer mm-hmm. anyway uh and i, I think I'm, yep. I'm i'm concerned about what's going to happen to huff post in this i don't know that we see a lot of details um mm-hmm. here so i'm concerned about like all the all the news yeah. pubs so that is that's it is fine, breaking but, news uh, as we speak i want to draw we don't the, have all the details yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, have yeah. to hear about it we don't have all the details. I do, I do want to draw that that straight line, though, between them saying like, oh, yes, we are very interested in AI and using AI to produce content. And also that means less writers. That also means the type of content we make is just like doesn't have to be investigative journalism, doesn't have to be thoughtful journalism. It can just be more or less. So, OK. Wow. We've got a lot more episode to Let's get move through. On to yeah. What we're doing in Gadget. Yeah. A lot more episodes to get through. Let's move on to what we're doing in Gadget. RIP BuzzFeed News. You will be missed. But around in Gadget, we have a couple of things going on. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're shifting up too. Like we're doing a lot of guides and buying guides. And that's one way we're trying to stay competitive in the hellscape of media right now. So we have some kitchen guides going up if you want to check out some kitchen gadgets. There's some really fun stuff there too. Um, my thing is I think everybody needs a toaster oven. No. You, you need a good toaster oven because no. it will change your life, Sherlyn. <laughs> you need a toaster oven. It will change your life. Also, yeah. and, uh, make Julio room. is shutting on an air fryer, room. another one of those dedicated devices that I don't have room for. Air fryer is fine, but you can actually get a combination like toaster oven that kind of does the air frying part. But anyway, anyway, Andy Tarantola has also done a 420 guide for us because it is 420. Today it is. Yeah, no, uh, Andy's guide, to be clear, is the best tech for people looking to vape. Um, So that's the guide that's up. Now we've re-updated. I just saw you hold up something, Sherlyn. What I did you end up buying? I bought a pen uh for the first time it's great i'm excited uh-huh. um and there's a lot of sales today so I'm, I'm excited for that more than anything else that's cool i mean if you're in a place where it's legal um mm-hmm. enjoy i guess don't it's be, legal don't thankfully be a jerk out there i don't know it's legal let's move on to what we've been working on um y- you know i'm still doing the blade 16 Sherlyn, i want to talk about the thing you wanted to discuss real quick what's up i am testing this thing that i've been dying to get my hands on forever it is the dyson zone now uh, my audio is going to cut out maybe briefly so bear with me but this if you recall is the dyson zone air purifying headset with okay it's a Sherlyn's putting on a visor that claps it's clipping onto the underside once she figures it out, clipping onto the underside of the headphones, it looks like Sherlyn is turning into Sub Zero. I was going to go with Ant Man, but I, I can sure. see it. I'm seeing Mortal Kombat Ninja right here. Okay, let me just turn on the fan so y'all can but, hear it. Yeah, okay. And she, she's going to turn on the fan. We are going to hear the sound of the Dyson okay. air purifier. I keep knocking which, into the mic. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm just pointing out here. Oh, shit. Yeah, we hear it. Can y'all hear it? That's okay. You're going to walk around the whole city sounding like you have a an air conditioner on your face. This thing does not cover Shirtland's 
it cover it doesn't cover her nose. It covers her mouth a bit, but it's just it's blasting purified air at you. Anyway, it's not a face mask, but it is anyway, sending you clean air. So I really hope I catch you on the street wearing that. Yeah. Keep it on. But that's what okay. I'm working on. Trillin's going to take this off. So that was fun. Check out Trillin's coverage of that Dyson headset air filter thingy soon. It um it looks hilarious. So check it out on video. If you're just hearing us on the audio side, go look at the video Um, wherever we are. What are we? We're in like one minute, one hour, 27 minutes in or so. Check that out. Sam, what are you working on? Um, so... Obviously, we just uh, I just reviewed the uh, Blade 18, and we're getting a lot more of the new like Intel 13th Gen uh, laptops with the NVIDIA 40 series GPUs. So I just got the MSI Stealth Studio 14 in, so I'm going to be working on that as my next review. And then I have a couple other hands-on stuff that I can't talk about yet, so uh, stay tuned for coverage like uh, early to mid next week. Um, for I think most people will be excited to see some of this stuff if you're a gamer, but that's as much as I can say. Okay. All right, very cool. Let's move on to some of our pop culture picks for the week. I'll get it started because we're still waiting for no, someone to <laughs> tune back in. You guys go um, first. Go first. Yeah, I'm here? still almost there. I'm almost there. Okay, I'll go first. I want to shout out Mrs. Davis, which is a show that stars a nun fighting a super powerful AI. That's it. That's the pitch. The show is from Damon Lindelof, and I feel like that is the big pitch. That is the big draw for a lot of people. The creator of Lost and, uh, you know, The Leftovers. He did the Watchmen HBO series, which is fantastic. It's also co-created by Tara Hernandez, who's also showrunning this thing. Um, This is a new series that's coming to Peacock right now, and uh, I reviewed it on the site, so you could go check that out. Um, uh, I have a short, I have some quotes from the interview here. Um, This show is very hard to explain because... It is basically a live action cartoon. It is it is not the sort of like slow burn um, mystery that, you know, The Leftovers was. It's not quite the sci-fi thing that Lost was. It is it is sort of like early Coen Brothers. It's almost like a Western, mainly done because like um, it's a nun in search for the uh, in search of the Holy Grail. And the AI told her to find the Holy Grail. And there's a lot of like interesting religious imagery in here. It reminds me of like Raising Arizona in terms of how zany it gets at one point. Uh, the first in the first two episodes, there's a group of um, very stereotypical uh, evil German henchmen, which are just straight up the nihilists from Lebowski. So it is very much that vibe. It is very weird. Um, I've seen people call this one of the dumbest shows they've ever seen. But in the next sentence, be like, well, it's also a ton of fun. My first sentence of this review is Mrs. Davis is a deeply silly show deeply committed to its silliness. And I feel like that is that is the thing. That is the key of the show. It is a very weird, fun show. Um, and I, I think it's worth watching. It's it's airing on Peacock right now. The first four episodes are up there as Sherlin in particular. I think you will be, I think you will enjoy it from both the religious imagery and the way it kind of intersects with tech. I don't think it's a very deep show, but you know, as Garth Marenghi once said, anybody who uses subtext is a coward right? This is not one of those shows. Um, it is just, it's fun. Betty Gilpin is great. And I think the cast overall is great. If you enjoyed, uh, one of my favorite characters from Silicon Valley was, um, was one of the VCs, the guy who would talk about, you know, he wanted cars with doors that go up, doors that go up, not doors that go in and out. He, he is in this show as the head of a anti-AI resistance group. And he just looks like he, he is from like a cartoon GI Joe show. Like he is shirtless all the time. He's very, he's very like intense about 
fighting this AI. Um, they they all have burner phones, and the minute they have a conversation, even if it's like a one second conversation, they split their burner phone in half because they gotta fight. They gotta stay away from the AI. It's very silly. It's very cartoonish, but I think it's a lot of fun. It's Mrs. Davis on Peacock. Sherlyn, do you want to talk about? Yeah, I got two for you this week, but both not new at all. Um, One is I've been rewatching or I've been continuing picking up where I've left off with American Horror Story. And I was fortunate enough that like after watching five seasons up until Hotel, which is where I started to feel a little like the the series was getting a little slow. I picked it right back up at Roanoke. And Roanoke's actually, I think, one of the strongest seasons of the entire franchise. Um, it's filmed like uh, reality TV meets Blair Witch meets like, you know, just a bunch of, you know, the style of it is the style of the storytelling here is very different. Um, and it's good horror. It's good like, it's it's very interesting lore as well. I think anyone who's heard of Roanoke that that, you know, story will be sort of familiar with what to expect here. So if you want to check it out go uh the other thing i will mention really quickly is also this um older show on netflix called uncoupled it stars neil patrick harris it's about you know him being broken up with at the start of the series being broken up with uh by his partner uh after like something like 16 years together and he's kind of like struggling to figure out the dating landscape as a single gay man who's new to the world of like apps and all of that stuff very funny great characters and it's Partly created by Darren Starr. So there's a lot of Sex and the City vibes here. It's also a very like firmly New York story. Um, so I enjoyed that. Kind of like and, and so yeah, I'm well. giving you Have you seen Fleischman? Have you seen a Fleischman yet, Trillin? No, nope, not at all. Trouble? Uh first I'm hearing of this. So Okay. I think I mentioned it a while ago. Maybe I, I wasn't there. Here, but it's it's very yeah, it's yeah, also yeah. very good if you're looking for a good New York story. Yeah. So anyway, two two sides of the spectrum for you, right? Intense horror on one end and very lighthearted, like mind numbing stuff on the other. Uh, take your pick your poison. Anyway, there you go. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much, Sam. What did you want to shout out? Uh, oh yeah, I, I remember. What's up? Yeah. Uh. So I you know haven't not a spicy pick by any means, but uh, I've been watching uh. the Mandalorian uh, the th- third season. And uh, I know a lot of people are down on this season, and I'm I mean, not entirely sure why I... I will sure tell you why, why, I, I, why I saw the first two episodes, and I'm like... Okay. What do you, it feels kind of like a cartoon version of what The Mandalorian was. Like, The Mandalorian was always sort of like a fetch quest type of narrative, right? It was Lone Wolf and Cub, you go on adventures, you go on quests. I think I was really annoyed. I wrote a review of the first, uh, the premiere. I was very annoyed at how, at how it, like, didn't even reference the stuff that happened in Boba Fett, which which was the thing that kind of actually concluded the ending of the second season of Mandalorian. So it's very confusing narratively. This was a chance for them to do something really different, and they absolutely did not. They absolutely was just like, well, reset back to Mando and, you know, Grogu on the run. So that, that's kind of why I tapped out. They definitely reset back to that, like, fetch quest, you know, storyline. But in, in some ways, like, I'm kind of okay with that because I just want, like, you know, more of that. And I really appreciate how this season they're, like, delving into, like, the Mandalorian culture as a whole, because I think that's one one piece of like the Star Wars mythology that they haven't really like uh, focused on in like a very central way, and so that's one thing I really appreciate. And it's just like you know, I just like like the bounty hunters from the man uh, from like the Star Wars lore in general. And then uh, so this week uh, they just um, released the season finale. And I, I don't want to spoil it too much, but they absolutely just go off the rails. So it's like there's there, there was like at least seven or eight points in the last episode <laughs> where I like, heard from people. Wait, Mandalorians Ooh. can do this yeah. or like yeah. th- this is like a thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. And so like 
it definitely like I, I think you hit it on the nail uh you hit on the head when you said like oh it feels like the cartoon version of it like they just go bonkers um but i kind of appreciate that like the mandalorian is something like i don't try to take too seriously but in it like it hits on a lot of the things that i like about the star wars universe in in general and as long as you're not like analyzing it too deeply i think it's a fun watch if you're looking for something with like you know, if you're looking for like really like Andor, make an impact or, or like a yeah yeah you you, you might not get. I that. think after Andor, we're like, oh, Star Wars can be good. Star Wars can be well written. Star Wars can have characters you you yeah, really yeah. care about that aren't just like, oh, look, it's a baby Yoda. That's so cute. You got me. You got me a baby Yoda. Um, I, I feel like it feels weaker after we just went through Andor. I'm rewatching Andor with my wife right now. God that that it. makes sense. God um, it, it's it's the Saturday morning cartoon version of like flip side of the coin to Andor, which is like a very serious, uh, you know, espionage. I saw, thing. I mean, I watched the entire Boba Fett show. I watched the entire Obi-Wan show. And those are also both like straight up Saturday morning cartoons, but at least they had like good things. You had another encounter between Obi-Wan and Vader. That's cool. You kind of had some interesting bits of history with, uh, with the Boba Fett show. And, uh, you know, anyway, well, I'm glad you're enjoying it, Sam. I'm going to catch up at some point. Shalyn, are you in on the Baby Yoda? I got a Baby Yoda, and I gave it to Sam and his wife. Okay, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Give it to somebody who appreciates it. I think that's good. It's on my bookshelf right now. He's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure your child looks at it every day and is like, why does Daddy have a doll? Why does Daddy have a toy that I can't play with? That's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter. I'm at Devendra at Mastodon Social on the Elephant site. And I'm reviewing movies and TV at the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. We just reviewed... We just did our summer movie wagers. So go check that out. That's a fun competition. You can find Sam online at... At Sam Rutherford on Twitter. And as always, on Engadget.com. If you want to send me your favorite uh, mashups of video game studios and game titles they absolutely did not make you can send them to me on twitter i am at sherlyn low uh, and also instagram at sherlynstagram email us your thoughts at podcast at engadget.com leave us a review please on itunes or whatever podcast platform you're using and subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher it would be a blockbuster pop-up brought to you by netflix you know (laughs) 